0: and welcome to Planet SciComm. Um, I'm Sarah Yo, and my co-host Jason McDermott is here with me today. Hi. We don't have Patrick because Jason remind me what Patrick is doing. He's,
1: uh, he's gallivanting around the country. I think he's in Hawaii although he did say that he and his family had a cold so that was not wow. great. Um, a
0: cold in Hawaii.
1: I know right.
0: But we also have two very, very exciting guests with us today. We have Drs. Anthony Dudo and John Besley, but I will let them introduce themselves. Dr. Dudo, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Surely, thanks, Sarah. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Anthony. I'm a associate professor at uh, University of Texas at Austin. I'm in the College of Communication, and I'm also the program director for um, our Science Communication Research Lab, which is part of our Center for Media Engagement down at, at UT.
0: Well, thank you. Welcome. Um, thanks, John. great to be here.
3: Thanks, Sarah, and, and Jason. Good to good to see you. Nice to meet you. This is the first time we've met. Thanks for yeah, having us on. Nice to you. And yeah, and so I'm I'm the Ellis N. Brandt Professor of Public Relations at Michigan State University. Uh, I've been here for about 10 years, been a faculty member for 20 years. I uh, I study science comm, I study risk comm, environment comm, depending on who's asking on any given day. Um, sometimes we study public opinion about science, but the last sort of 10 years with Anthony, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about the scientists and how do they think about communication, how they think about audiences, how they think about, and then uh, the whole broader community, people, you know, trainers and, and, and foundations and the people who support scientists.
0: Cool. Welcome. Um. So, I I know you both quite well. We often have a lot of fun at conferences, which you know <laughs> is is good, right? Um. I. But you know what I don't know is how your collaboration began. I'm good. I which which is a sneaky way of asking how long have you been collaborating?
2: <laughs> cool. John, you want me to take a crack at this one? Go for it. I see what all you right. think it was. We'll have actually, I have a very vivid memory of this, and I'm curious to see if it, if it's consistent well, well. With, with John. So I'm fairly certain we met back in 2006, and it was the first like proper communication conference I went to, A J M C. And I was in my first year as a PhD student and you know, completely kind of like overwhelmed by it all and uh I'm, I'm it was in san francisco i think oh wait and what I, does I AGMC doctor,
0: stand for for our the association oh, yeah. oh, yes. for
2: education in journalism and mass communication it's it's sorry AGMC, i love you but it's a terrible name anyway we, <laughs> <laughs> right we can agree on that um and uh yeah, so we were in san francisco and and it's possible that we met uh over uh, pliny the elder um Ooh. ipa i like it um kind of outside of the conference one night at a meal. And uh, I think we were seeking that out, a, a group of us. Anyway, we met then. And John, you were, you were at that point pretty far along, right? And your PhD? It was 2006. That would have been my South
0: first year Carolina? as a faculty member.
3: Ooh, I, I, okay. I, would, I would have just moved to South So I would have been a, just about to move to South Carolina because I, I moved okay. in August of 2006
2: and AJ is usually in August. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And I had I guess I had kind of either heard of John or read some of his stuff at that point. And, and we just met and and I was really, um, yeah, you know, really impressed and realized that we were kind of interested in a lot of the same topics and same subjects. And and, um, you know, so we, we met then. And then a few years later, after I was out of school and um, started at UT Austin as an assistant professor, um, we got connected a little bit more formally with a, with a particular project. And I'll stop there about the project and see if I, I'm curious to see if my recollection is consistent with John's. I, the 2006, I have no recollection of,
3: I'm, wow. if I was moving. I would have probably if 2006. I was moving. I was about to have my first kid. 2006 is a blur. And if there was uh, plenty of the elder involved, that would be, you know, right. could have made it worse. Uh, I remember going to AJ for San Francisco for AJ. I do remember that. Um, I remember I, I, yeah, I got a, I was still like doing small hotel rooms across the street from the conference. Cause I think I was, I hadn't had my first professor, professor paycheck, but yeah. And then, so, so somewhere along the way, I mean, the first time I did a survey of scientists, I didn't actually do it. I, Matt Nisbet, the the Pew Research Center had done a survey of AAA American Association for the Advancement of Science members um, and had given it to Matt to play and Matt had been involved in the development and Matt Nisbet, who's another sort of com researcher that a lot of folks may know from um and, oh, and so interested. yeah, he got he had this data set. So I got a chance, I ended up playing with the data set with him, and we did that. And then, you know, there was we wanted more data. And so uh Anthony and I, Anthony had been working with um the wonderful um Sharon Dunwoody, uh as well as and as well as Deidre and and Dominique. And and yeah, and so I guess we must have, at that point, we had known each other for a few years, and, and we he had been working on some scientist data that Sharon was involved in collecting, and so it made sense to team up.
0: And it's a small world, because Sharon Dunwoody, who we unfortunately lost earlier this year, um, was the first science communication course that I had. She taught the first science communication course that I had at Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, and Dominique and Brassard and Beatrum Schweifler were at Cornell while I was at Cornell, and then right. they moved to Wisconsin. And so yep. it really and, is the yeah. science comm research world is not large. It's that's, getting bigger, yeah. not large. Yeah, that's so
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, and Dominique Brassard was my advisor uh, through grad school. So, yeah. Um, well, I. <laughs> It's funny that your memory is so vivid, Anthony, around meals and beer. Yeah, and, yeah.
4: <laughs> that's
2: that's how my brain works. Everything tends to be coupled with good food or good beer.
0: That's well, yeah, <laughs> and this is what I remember most about AEJ, right? I mean, like this is the times I I remember most when we A J M C, the conference that right. we the three of us often see each other at, you, the most you... common one that we see each other at. And right the
3: key now. for that place, that conference, is if you're doing science com in the United States it's where the original Science Comm group was. Originally it was just called the Science Communication Interest Group. And then right around when Anthony and I were sort of coming through, we changed the name to, we became a division because it was getting more popular and we changed it to Advanced Health Environment, Sure, Comm, Sure, Science Health Environment Risk <laughs> Division, which is, it's and so we, it's part of the sort of the uh, history of if you're coming up through Science Comm in the US, Sarah's been the head of that division. I've been the head of that division. Anthony's been the head of that division. It's just a thing. It's one of those stops that you do. And, and so it's where
2: you get to know folks. It's where I got to know Sharon. It's where... Yeah, um, and Sharon, I, got, I think Sharon Dunwoody was maybe instrumental in starting the science comm oh, interest I'm, group, if not the person, one of the people who got
3: her it. and yeah. Bruce, my, one of my other chairs, I mean, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, absolutely.
0: Gosh, I haven't seen Bruce in a while. But I am actually... Um, Technically still head for another 19 head- days because no. <laughs> the AJ's uh fiscal year turns over in October, right? So technically the head is still the head until October 1st. So yes, I'm finishing this stint as head of the division. But it's been, I mean, it it is it is a really good way to meet. Uh, a lot of science communication researchers. And one of the things that we talk about, right, we go to AJMC every year. There's so many researchers, science communication researchers at this place. And then we go to a science conference, AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, like John mentioned. But there's hardly any science communication researchers there.
1: That's really interesting because it seems like there are a lot of science communication people there. So I was just at a conference out in, in, and I guess I shouldn't
3: say the name, but it was, you know, it was actually kind of disappointing because there was people who were talking about science Com, but they were, and they were talking about it with great authority often, but they weren't the people who are publishing in the journals and they weren't the people who were, who were mm. doing the research. And I was really sad because I'm like, oh, we have so much, I mean, in a lot of them. So there's wonderful practitioners who people, one of the things we can talk about at some point is Anthony and I both. Are frustrated that too few researchers interact with practitioners,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but so there's great practitioners there, and there's folks who are trying to get into the research space, but they they're so desperate for insight and and knowledge, but none of us are there. I mean, very few of us are there.
0: Yeah, which actually reminds me that this week I spoke with um, Adam Levine, not the not <laughs> nice. the celebrity. um but adam levine who's a political scientist at johns hopkins university who started research for impact have you heard of this organization it does matchmaking between sort of researchers and practitioners um and i'm i i just shared that i suppose with the ajmc listserv but um anyway i'm thinking of of that as maybe one vehicle to encourage more research and practice kind of cross collaboration but that also sorry jason go
1: oh no i i just had a uh A comment more than a question. Um, No, I had a comment, which is, I think that a lot of scientists are pretty familiar with practitioners. They might have science communication people that they interact with on a regular basis. I would guess, and maybe you guys know, maybe you guys have actually taken polls on this. I would guess that many scientists don't think or don't realize that there is research in science communication that there are programs, the, that there the are stories,
3: programs. the, the number of phone calls, I like got, we were on this, uh, um, yeah, we're at a zoom with, with a foundation and one of the pre- people, the scientist on the thing, and this was a science com foundation, a yeah. mm-hmm. call about money for science com And he said out loud, I, I, that he'd never, he didn't realize this was a field. And I just, one, everything's a field. There is nothing that's not a field. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so surely there's a field, but, and but it was somebody who has said he was interested in psychom, but I guess it never Googled psychom, um, or psychom research. I, it
2: was it boggles the mind. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I mean, if you go back even ten years, fifteen years, like back when we were really all kind of going through grad school, and and I had like a lot more patience for that. Like, kind of situation where there was no understanding that there was a field or that there were social scientists who were interested in this. My patience is dwindling, if I'm, if I'm honest, as we move in, into 2022. It's like, okay, seriously, like uh, at this point, um, I think people should be aware that there's a lot of folks out there who are doing this work. And he's that the nice
3: one guy. of us.
0: He is the, the nice the problem. Yeah, in the nice world. World is- now we've got <laughs> mad science. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Angry. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pre start of the pandemic patients versus post start of oh, the pandemic Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very different, I think. Very different. Very oh, okay. different. Yeah. But I think that brings us to the reason that you're on our podcast today and the reason that we wanted to have you guys on. Congratulations. You have a forthcoming book, um, Strategic Science Communication, A Guide to Setting the Right Objectives for More Effective Public Engagement, published by Johns Hopkins University Press. Congratulations. Will you um, tell us a little bit about... Well, okay, I'll be honest. As somebody who has never written a book... And cannot see more than like five years down my career trajectory because I'm, you know, so much going on. I don't know if I'll ever write a book. How long does this take?
2: Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> longer than we thought it would. So, so
3: what
2: do we think? There's a con- yeah, there's a confounding variable, right? And that that was COVID, I think, a little bit. Um. But it took, go ahead, John. I mean, it did. It took a lot longer than
3: we thought, right? So I feel like we proposed it probably in 2019, maybe late 2018. I had a sabbatical like fall of 2019 into 20, spring of 20 winter, spring of 2020. Uh, and so I figured I had some time there. And we at that point, so that would have been 2019. So we've been probably surveying and doing this work for almost, not quite 10 years at that point, but we felt like we had some sort of sense of like, oh, we should mm. put some of this down. We've been giving this this, this talk one of us or both of us, some version of a talk for for quite a while. That that we like. Well, oh, we should really turn that into a book. Um, and so we go into 2019. So we so I think the bulk of it got written in fall of 2019 into spring of 2020 into the summer of 2020. I think, and then revisions. And so it's it's been it's what do we know? Are we 2025 now? I don't. It's <laughs> it's been a while. I feel like we've been we've been working on it.
2: It's and not. It is the case too that, like, I mean the the book was the book was more or less written before COVID really kicked off. Mm. So this isn't a book who's like the, COVID wasn't a catalyst for this in any way. It was just that we the editing process um, and the production process of the book happened during COVID, so it was just slowed down a little bit.
3: Strangely, it, I don't think we talk about COVID very much. It's, Irish, it's, maybe no, not at all in the book no. because one, the research wasn't when we were writing it. The research hasn't I'm been sure. done yet. And two, it's not about, it's a, we'll get to this too, I suppose, but it's about long-term communication effects and cumulative effects, not this sort of like, how do we deal with a crisis
0: mm-hmm. communication? Yeah, not like risk crisis communication.
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to actually ask if there was anything that you thought should be revisited after COVID happened and you're like, oh, we got most of this book, like we have to rewrite this entire chapter. It doesn't sound like it though. No, not at all. Interesting. I think that's right.
3: I don't have to think about it, but I'm pretty sure that's right. I think think COVID showed us, so the last chapter, if you jump to the end is really about like, you know what it turns out in writing this book, communication is hard and, and it's maybe not something that individual scientists should be doing on their own, just as individual politicians or individual CEOs shouldn't do communication on their own. And so we sort of get into that in that last chapter that, and so if anything, I believe that even more strongly now, that communication is a is a team activity um, and it needs to be if we're going to do it effectively.
0: Hmm. It actually strikes me in thinking about how long, I, I expected you to say that you proposed the book much earlier. So I actually think that was, that seems pretty, but then again, my mind is like, time in my mind is a little warped, right? Like what, you know, COVID, you know
3: and we didn't go through a long proposal process we sort mm. of have it in our mind we brought it to we talked to ask around who was a good publisher who might be interested somebody gave us a name we said we sent it to them and they said yes and then we were off we were and off we went so we didn't have to
2: shop it around for a, for a long time mm. yeah it's true we don't have a lot of reference points for this right we can't compare it to any other experience because we've only done it once i have some colleagues who've written you know written write books quite frequently and um you know they've had all different sorts of experiences than ours. So I don't I don't really know what counts as what counts as normal. But I mean I think we both say that um in retrospect and it's still a little soon, but I think that we learned a lot from the process. And some things were maybe as we thought they would be, some things maybe weren't. Um and there are some there's some definite challenges with the process. I mean I think maybe for me if it, it, not at the risk of getting off topic here, but you know, I mean we're trained to write a certain way as social scientists right so we're never going to say x causes y <laughs> mm-hmm. we're going to talk about nuance we're going to talk about caveats we're going to say in certain situations under certain conditions x may be linked to y in these particular ways for these you know and and when you write a book especially when you're writing a book that's designed to kind of encapsulate a lot of thinking and research and that is primarily meant for practitioners um, that the publisher is going to come back at you and say, you know, I really want more declarative language here. You know, I don't want all these caveats. I want I want you to write some sentences that are just like, okay, here's what you need to do. And so this this kind of ongoing struggle, especially through the editing process of finding the right balance between being really careful to represent the social science accurately, but also provide, you know, these sentences and moments in the book that are a lot more accessible um, is an interesting situation. And it's a, it's a very
3: specific practitioner audience, right? Like it's, it's practitioners who are also involved in the community of science, where I would feel really, I would feel weird being too declarative in that context. We're sort of straddling this interesting, I think an interesting tricky line in that we're writing about social science for a lot of people who are going to have a background in the natural sciences as well as sort of maybe master students kind of things uh in 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 social sciences or applied communication programs and so we want to be um we want to be part of that use that language in some sense while still being accessible to folks who aren't social necessarily phd social scientists and so it's it's an interesting
1: balance well i think you're you're Hitting on something, at least I see it from the outside, is hitting on something that I think is really interesting about what I've seen in your work, which is talking about risk and how risk and uncertainty are communicated. And what you've said is basically that kind of two different ways, which is the scientist way is like we put all these conditions on it, right? We put all kinds of conditions on it. And then it gets boiled down to, well, we can't put that in a newspaper headline. We have to put scientists find X. So, Uh And you're talking about a slightly different audience, right? Maybe an audience that has more ability to deal with nuance. But I think those two kinds of ends are really interesting. And I'm wondering, I guess, what you think about that, if you think that's a reasonable way to think about communicating risk and uncertainty, or are there other factors that I'm missing?
3: So, I mean, actually, when it gets to the core of the book, right? So communicating risk, we would argue, is one objective that you can do through communication. Often, and, and one of the things we're trying to, that, that when we talk about, like, what is, I can't remember the exact title, but right objectives, setting the right objectives. One of the things that, with the reason we write this book is because there's this idea that when scientists think about communication, they have a couple of of objectives that are sort of top of mind, and they think that's what necessarily communication is. It's, my objective is to teach you about some fact about science or some process about science. It's get you to, to perceive some risk. It's to get you to perceive, And we're going to, we argue that, no, that's, those are perfectly good objectives there We have a chapter on each of those things, but there's, there's a bunch of other chapters too, beyond those things. And so, um, and then the uncertainty is a fun thing. Is like, well, there's uncertainty about all of the objectives. And so one of the pushbacks we got from a reviewer was, well, why there's another chapter on uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and well, because for each objective so like one of our objectives that we I, I often study trust or trustworthiness one of the objectives we have a chapter on communicating um our your motivations the degree to which you as a scientist are motivated by the public good it could be called warmth it could be called benevolence mm-hmm. depending on the literature it could be called lots of different things but the core of it is like i want you to perceive me as a scientist as somebody who cares about about your community people like you right and so even in that, and so I want you to perceive that. We often talk about beliefs. I want you to believe that about me. Well, that has uncertainty in it, right? There's unser- You're gonna have, have degree of uncertainty about the degree to which I am a person who has pro-social motivations. Uh, and then we go down the lane, thing of objectives. And so yes, you should commit. And so we talk about, we have this sort of little section in the book where we're like, we don't have a chapter on uncertainty there's uncertainty about everything if you're uncertain about something as a scientist you should say so and that's not a communication strategy question that's an ethics question um now how much time do you spend all your time talking about certainty uncertainty and how uncertain you are
1: that gets that's a different little bit of an if, different issue and i and i hate to raise the you know 900 pound gorilla in the room but the pandemic i think has drawn this out to a you know with communication around public health and around as the pandemic emerged and I'm I was trained in virology that doesn't make me an expert in the the pandemic by any means but um I think there was a real like if you look at especially the lay public and the way that they perceive uncertainty they're like scientists don't know what they're talking about. They come out with this and then they come out with that. And then they come out with this other thing. And then everybody's like, I'm not listening to anything. Not everybody. How do you know that to be true? I don't know that that's true. I I think most of what we
3: know from when people actually study this is that most people understand that the world is complicated and that scientists are uncertain. Now they may use that rhetorically when they're trying to like Mm -hmm. justify not doing a behavior. But people, my sense is one, we know, we do know research that if scientists who communicate uncertainty are perceived as somewhat more trustworthy, having more integrity in particular. I don't so yes, I don't actually think that people are really that thrown by by uncertainty. And I don't have a lot of evidence that people are that thrown by scientists being uncertain.
1: People know the world is messy. People are people are pretty smart. And this is why even when they're dumb. This is why research into science communication is important.
2: I have a slightly more glass, glass, half empty view of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so happy, happy I, yeah, I feel Normally, I'm, I'm like Mr. Jovial, happy, nice guy. Yes. But I think I think, uh, you know, Sarah, I, I, I'm sure you, there's no way you escaped uh, Wisconsin without talking about cognitive misers. Right. Yeah. And and, and this notion of. Uh, you know, people using shortcuts all the time to make decisions and not really wanting to put in any mental effort. And I have to fight hard against that. But I wanted to go back to something um, that you raised earlier, which I guess is maybe a little bit more macro, macro point of the book. And, you know, we, we thought about different analogies or metaphors to to kind of get across the, kind of the impetus for, for what we were doing. And, you know, if, if we if we think about and bear with me on this right and we've we've used this before in in some of our talks if we think about um that a lot of the data that you know we've generated from from studying scientists for the last 10-15 years and that others in the field have generated have really shown certain models of science communication among the scientific community and Mm -hmm. and a lot of it bear with me again it looks kind of like a hot dog cart and so you go to a hot dog cart you can get hot dog you can get a soda. You can get what else? Can you get a hot dog? A hot a bag of potato chips, something like that, right? Maybe some Only right. But it's a very like limited it's menu. Hard, right. Hard. And so if you think of like the science communication hot dog cart, right? It's like, um, no, I'm gonna communicate if I'm gonna communicate, I'm gonna communicate to educate or inform someone. I'm gonna communicate to to kind of correct misinformation, correct the record. Um, or I'm gonna communicate because you know what, science is really damn cool and exciting, and I wanna I wanna get that across to people. I wanna you know, communicate awe and wonder. And you know, John, I'm, there's nothing wrong with those menu items, so to speak, like that's fine. But what we're trying to like present in the book is like science communication shouldn't be reduced to this hot dog cart. <laughs> science communication is a restaurant with like a bigger menu. I won't say it's a an old country buffet or a Golden Corral, but, you know, it's a restaurant with a bigger menu. And you can accomplish more things than serving someone a hot dog, a soda or a bag of chips. Those might always be on the menu and that's fine, but there's other things on the menu as well. And so if you kind of, the book is about zooming out and trying to provide a more kind of holistic picture of science communication to say there's other things you can try to accomplish through your, if you're going to take the time, if you're going to spend the money and do this kind of thing. um, And what are some of those things and why should you care about them? Why should you be aware of those, of those menu items?
3: if we want to beat this metaphor to death, and I know we do, um, Let's do it. um so the, even more than that, so what the hot dog is actually beside the point. And so this is, there's a whole thing. And Sarah, we were talking about this earlier of the hot dog is, is a thing that you do to do a it, th- to get a thing. It's how you like, I'm hungry. I need a hot dog. The chips, same thing. It's a, it's a thing I do to fill it. But the real point, the thing you're trying to do is feed yourself. So that's the goal, right? And so there's something beyond just the ingredients or the menu items. What we, I mean, the, what I think like the first chapter of the book, where we really talk about the idea of even before we get to starting to talk about what's for dinner, let's talk about what are we trying to accomplish by eating? Um, And so this goal idea is, is, is we start with, well, let's first talk about audience specific behavioral goals what are we actually trying to accomplish? And in a real world life that comes to a scientist comes to us and says, you know, my, my, what I want to do here is I want to, I think it's really important that we inspire on wonder. And we say, that is awesome. On wonder is wonderful. Why do you want to inspire on wonder? What's your, what's your, like, what's, what do you, what's your hypothesis that if you inspire on wonder, what do you think is going to happen? Why are you doing that? And so, well, my real goal is to get kids, especially kids from you know this community where I grew up, that not a lot of people are going into science. I want kids to choose a science career. And now we have a behavior. We have an kid. We have an audience-specific behavior. Kids from a specific sort of type of time and place, for a specific group, choosing a science career. And now we can talk. Now we can say, all right, that's your goal. That's your audience-specific behavior goal. On wonder is going to. It might be part of the menu that we're going to need. But what else could we do? Do they need to believe that you also are the type of person who cares about people like them? Do they need to believe that people like you are smart and impressive and have the expertise that they should aspire to? Do they need to believe that their friends would think it was awesome and cool if they chose a career in that space? Do they need to think that there's benefits to choosing that career? Do they need to think that that choosing that career isn't that risky? Do they need to believe that they have the ability, self-efficacy, to choose the career? But we can only have that conversation once you've said, once you've identified, once you said,
2: you know what, I what I really want is getting these kids to choose this career. Consider this choosing is, this career. And this is totally where, you know, John and I were, were, were our placement in these advertising programs really came into it, right? Because yeah. of teaching courses for undergrads and, and strategic communication. And like one of the first things you're, you're, you're teaching them in the, and I, I've taught our intro to integrated brand promotion class at Texas for 10 years is communication is goal driven in that context like you're not you're you're starting your thinking about communication with what behavior or be or pseudo behavior are we trying to accomplish for whom and that's where it all begins right and again the notion is that if you're skipping that part of thinking in your science communication you're you're constraining yourself immediately Right. You're like immediately placing a barrier in front of yourself and your ability to actually have some sort of impact.
3: The behavior, and the goal thing turns out to be really more tricky than it sounds like. So we say it's a behavior. That would be nice and easy if we just said a goal is a behavior. Well, what's a behavior? And so a behavior might be choose an electric vehicle. That's nice and clear. No problem. You know, vote for this person. Nice and clear. Scientists are a little uncomfortable with that often. But what about consider evidence in the context of a behavior? That's still kind of that's when Anthony said pseudo behavior. That's kind of still a behavior. I want I, I don't need you to buy an EV car, but I'd like to when your next time you're thinking about a car, I'd like you to consider the evidence around this, that, and the other thing. So that's a sort of a, a, even weirder behavior. That's not really a behavior, but is a behavior is behavioral trust, right? So if I say, you know, I want you to take this vaccine. What I'm asking you to do is to not, not take the vaccine. Or if I'm saying I'm a genetically modified food researcher, this is where I come across this most often. It's like, well, what do you want to happen? Well, I need people to support GMOs. Well, okay, but actually you need people not to reject GMOs, which means, and so in the trust literature, we talk about behavioral trust as this idea of a willingness to be vulnerable. I'm choosing not to oppose. I'm choosing not to, to say no. I'm choosing to go along with that, to accept something as legitimate, which is again, you're choosing to to accept a, a, a situation, a, a risk in this case, you're choosing a potential risk. So you're choosing to be yourself to be vulnerable. So that's a behavior. And the fun, so then the fun things becomes, oh, actually one really other type of really important behavior that we almost always forget to talk about because we're we're working on it is I can design communication where the goal is to change my behavior, right? So the thing that I want to happen is I'm going to consult, I'm going to talk to some folks and I'm going to change what I think and what I feel and how I frame an issue. And I'm going to realize that I should be doing that research differently or I should be doing different research or I shouldn't be doing this research at all. And so I'm doing communication where the goal isn't, If communication was just about changing everybody else, that would be not awesome. And so sometimes the goal has to be, I'm doing communication, I'm engaging in communication with other folks so that I can decide if I need to change my own behavior. And once we figure out what we're trying to accomplish, now we can start to think, well, is communicating all the best thing? Is communicating trustworthiness the best thing is risks how much should i talk about uncertainty how much do i need to talk about social norms and all these things that people like sarah and anthony and i study in our day-to-day lives
0: two things come up from from that bit of conversation for me first of all uh that science communication is a restaurant not a hot dog cart i think that's (laughs) what we're gonna call this uh this, this episode, way to go, Anthony, you get the award for titling the episode. So that's great. <laughs> <Adios>. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's we have talked a lot about goals. Um, I will say I I read the book. I've, I was asked to review the book. So I wrote a review of the book. Um, And it'll come out in the Journal of Science Communication soon. And I actually was thinking also about a a researcher audience, because that's the perspective from which I'm reading the book. I I see very clearly that the book is for a practitioner audience, but I also, you know, from the researcher perspective, I could see how the literature is very helpful. It's a very helpful starting point for researchers to dive in, right? Because like you say, the book is for practitioners. So naturally, you're not going to inundate them with all of the research. It's not a literature review for a journal article, right? So it's not this in-depth thing, but it is a really good starting point um, in each of the chapters for that particular objective or for the, the background that
3: I hope that's what you said in your review.
0: I, I did <laughs> say that in my review.
3: Yes. Yes, actually, the
0: editor had to had to write back and say, uh, "If there is one bad thing, could you <laughs> write that in your review?" Like,
1: this is we just went through. Uh, we're just going through performance reviews right now, and and it's like we like to get the positive feedback for performance reviews, but you also need the places for development. And like <laughs> a lot of stuff that's just like, they're great. They're wonderful to work with. I have no further comment. You're like, please give me something. I can work
0: with. Yeah, yeah. It's always the, where's the one thing? Yes. Um, But so, and it strikes me that we're talking a lot about goals, but the book is primarily about this other word, objectives. Right. And so I think for our listeners, I know about um, the model that you've proposed because I, I use it a lot and I have read about it a we've lot talked
1: about it on the show before
0: we have talked about. We had Shoupé uh, on
1: wonderful Shoupé.
0: Right. Yep. And so, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Um, but so it's nice to have these sort of originators here. Right. Here we are at ground zero. I would like the for our listeners kind of these definitions of goals, objectives and then tactics right um so it would be nice to just have these clear kind of definitions of these three things Uh,
3: we're just pointing at each other who's i know i'm just
0: like who are you pointing at (laughs) we are on zoom and when you point you point at everyone i
3: think i'm the obnoxious one who has to do it all right so and we're (laughs) still working on how to talk about this and it's not. It's hard to talk about. It turns out, and we could have said. I think the first paper we wrote in this, we actually called what we now call objectives, goals, and we're trying to. And so, more often, what we want to say is audience-specific behavioral goals and cognitive it Really rolls affect, off the
0: tongue there. Mm, sweet, right? <laughs> audience-specific <laughs> behavioral
3: goals. I don't know. There's probably an acronym. I don't know what the acronym would be. Um, but then, or cognitive and affective objectives. And the key is, so why don't we talk about behaviors already and the idea of the different behaviors of you, behaviors of ourselves as communicators, trust as a behavior, consider information as a behavior, but then objectives that gets us So goals for us from a strategy perspective are what do you actually want to happen in the world? And that, that says the objectives, which is where most calm theory is at, are cognitive or affective Um Things. In our book, we sometimes call them, we like calling them beliefs, feelings, frames, BFFs, just because why not? I
0: love BFFs. See, <laughs> BFFs. Is why you shouldn't backronym the goals. I know. Right? Yeah, yeah.
3: But the problem with beliefs, feelings, frames, the beliefs thing is I can run into a lot of mm. pushback from scientists who think beliefs means I believe in God. Which is not how social scientists think about beliefs. Specifically, we're interested in so we have belief as knowledge as beliefs. So if you believe that the Earth goes around the Sun, you believe that. So we could call that a specific, but it's not a particularly interesting belief in that it's there's no emotion attached to it. Most of the beliefs we really care about in social science are what may be called evaluative beliefs. So I believe your a scientist is caring. I believe that a scientist is honest. I believe that a scientist is has expertise i believe that a scientist shares my values i believe that a scientist is willing to listen i believe that this has risks i believe that somebody else believes what i believe i believe that i have the ability to do it i think i can i think i can Mm -hmm. Um, those are all beliefs that have feelings attached to them right we might sometimes like the beliefs about risks and benefits. Sometimes we call them attitudes. A whole bunch of this book is about like how all the different words we use to describe the same things. But the core is that objectives are the key for objectives are things. You can't affect a goal directly. You can't affect in, communi- in we generally don't think you can affect a behavior directly. I can't say trust, just trust me. That's not when it comes to communication. Not great. If I want you to trust me, what I need you to believe or to perceive is that I'm competent, caring, and, and honest, I can actually, commu- I can make communication choices that make that more likely. And by communication choices, I don't just mean messages. I mean, how I behave. Do I show up early? Do I stay late? How do, do I, do I um, talk to you early in the process or late to the process? Those are communicative behaviors, as well as messages, as well as tone, like how I say stuff, as well as, you know, who says it, as well as where do you say it? Lots of different choices at that tactical level. But through those different tactical choices, I can directly affect whether you perceive me or a scientist or any communicator as competent, caring, um, honest, or uh, that you see an issue as risky or beneficial or as something, you know, all these, so objectives are key is that you can directly affect them to your communication choices and that in turn, those things will affect behavior. Secret of this book is there's really two big sort of integrative theories underlying it. Integr- the integrated theory of uh, uh, integrated, there's an integrated trust theory and the integrated behavioral model which also often goes by theory of planned behavior just those two theories on their own plus a little bit of other stuff gets you a long way to understanding why people do the things they do
2: we should also say something about this isn't a book about nudges um yeah yeah that's that's important right i mean we, we we've mentioned that before like right we, and the, again oh, not wait that's...
0: say something about nudges yeah i was gonna say i know what a nudge about. is Nudges.
2: No. Uh, quick win communication <laughs> so quick, quick, like win, quick communication. win communication quick win communication this is this is we're, the book is about slow food communication <laughs> to go back to food our food, food discussion yeah. right, our food metaphor it's clearly this is, like you know, food this a is, lot guys
4: we <laughs> yeah. tried to get yep. a food exactly. picture
2: on the cover but they
3: would not we were doing like, oh. doing like a pantry oh, or that like, would have been great yeah. it would have been yeah. awesome i love the covers but i think
0: i think the hot dog cart in a restaurant on the cover like you know on a street hot dark cart in, in front of a restaurant yeah but this, that's pretty cool
3: that, that cognitive miser thing anthony was talking about before so much of the communication literature or so much of the discussion is right now in the community is about oh people are 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 I use all these heuristics and biases mm. which is absolutely true we are all cognitive misers we're always sort of making decisions trying to make save conserve cognitive energy and make decisions but that's not all the communication is. And if we really want, and so sometimes like if you're saying, well, trustworthiness, my percep- I use my perception of scientists as being honest as a mental shortcut for whether or not I should listen to a scientist. But you had to get that perception from somewhere. And so, and and it's also just, there's an ethical thing about, I'm not comfortable with the idea of, you know, it's if advertisers selling Coca-Cola want to, you know, nudge me into choosing coca-cola because by putting it at the front of the store or by playing a catchy jingle that's one thing it's not it's another thing if scientists actively get involved too much there's issues around smoking things like that where we do there's strategies that might be ethical that for that but we're talking about cumulative effects we Anthony and I both come out of a school school of communication effects that isn't just about short term we're talking about changing how people perceive
2: the world including how scientists perceive the world I've often tracing. I've often thought about, like with our title, like uh, to what extent, you know, calling it like holistic science mm-hmm. communication would also be helpful. <laughs> right. Um, just because of how often, you know, the word strategic is loaded for a lot of people and they have they make assumptions with that often. And, and you say advertising or strategic communication. A lot of people's mind go, oh, it's,
1: it's the dark arts. Um,
0: no, reclaiming the word. I I actually
1: had a question about that um, mm -hmm. and I think you've kind of, you've addressed it in what you've said so far, but it'd be nice to get a a short definition of what you think strategic or what you're trying to communicate when you say strategic communication. So the word we've been using a lot lately, I've been using a lot lately is
3: intentionality so that you're intent. There's this idea of intentionality, but fundamentally the strategy involves, I, I, I identify goals I then prioritize objectives that make it more likely that I'm gonna achieve those goals. And then I choose tactics that help me achieve those objectives, which is often the opposite of what a lot of science communication okay. is, which is like, we need a we need to set up a Twitter account. <laughs> okay, that's a tactic. What do you hope to get out of that Twitter account? Well, I'm gonna get people to see how awesome our lab is. Great. Why do you want people to see how awesome your lab is? And then we finally get right, down right. And, yeah, uh, we have, and I mean,
2: countless anecdotes right and um of conversations that we've had over the years with scientists across all different fields at all different levels of their career where you know we we've heard some version of what John just said i i i have to say this because it was such a powerful moment this was going back almost 10 years now but um you know, a junior physicist, a uh, really amazing person, very talented, has probably gone on to have an amazing career. But I was the community, the, the communication person in the room at this particular meeting. And, um, you know, he turned to me and, and said, um, so I have some colleagues that are on Twitter. I feel like that's something I need to do. Can you tell me really quickly how I can get 30,000 followers on Twitter? And it was just like the most, it was just, the most unscientific question and way of thinking ever. And I, the irony of that was so powerful, you know um, but we have those conversations a lot and it's, it's one of those situations where it's like, there's no judgment. It's just, you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. Um, you, you, and that's what part of, I think this book is, tr- is trying to help out with right now you do know <laughs> that it's, and and the, the, the story is that, communicating to have some sort of effect or impact within the context of science often involves effort it involves work it's not easy it's difficult and we're sorry to have to say that but (laughs) here we are you know and sometimes being fun and creative isn't what's called for sometimes it's the hard
3: work of just showing up and being caring and, and talking to people there's a yeah it's 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 communication. I mean, there's a reason that there's a multi-billion-dollar communication industry in the world, and it's not because it's not just because we want to trick the world wants to big corporations want to trick people. It's because communication is a is a sort of an applied social science that has evidence base that is worth using sometimes. Now, one of the things we're writing this book is we did, and we say this a lot. I think throughout the book is that. The evidence base is, is not awesome in a lot of places. And we were sort of trying to make like, and writing this, we were finding places like, "Oh, I wish we had more evidence in this space. So like conceptually, this makes sense. I wish I had stronger evidence that if I do X, it'll lead to M, which is the
1: objective. And that'll lead to Y, the behavior. That's interesting. I think that's what Sarah was, was commenting about maybe with a researcher, you know, it's a good guidebook for like probably where the gaps are, right? And and you mentioned before, I think that um, not a lot
3: of one of the so there, it's it's not all on. We were sort of I think maybe being a little bit mean earlier when thinking like oh scientists should be finding us. Why are not they finding yeah. us? <laughs> We're not going, but our community, yeah. one of the things involved in our community, we're not necessarily doing the research that helps them make decisions. Yeah. And we're not showing in the recent, when we do do that research, we don't show up ironically to share that research with the people who might mm. use that research. So it is
2: not, we are in no way suggesting that. And the, Yeah. And that was, that was a huge motivation for doing the book, right? Because of how often and all the involvement and all the, um, uh, kind of connections that we were able to make with thought leaders um, and doing really amazing things in the science commu- the broader science communication space, lots of wonderfully innovative um, uh, practitioners um, and really getting a clear sense for just how, frankly, how poorly like academia in the communication space, we just, the norms, the incentives, everything, it's not there yeah to, to really drive social scientists to go out into the world, see what kinds of, I say research questions or hypotheses that practitioners are facing in their day-to-day work and then form partnerships to work on them together. Um, you know, for frankly, for logistical reasons, you know, John and I are both in a position where we do get the positive feedback to do this kind of work and to think about this thing. And, And so I think what we're trying to accomplish, you want a goal that's, you know, part of part of our book is to do whatever we humbly can through the book to help normalize and motivate (laughs) um, folks in the social science space who are doing science communication research to try to do more work that's connected to practitioners.
1: So so I had a question this a little bit off of that because I'm not in social science or I'm not in science communication research. I'm in broader or you know, other research, right? Um, so you mentioned incentives and kind of motivations. And I think, you know, that's one of my, my questions is what do you say to a research scientist? I'll use myself as an example, although I'm a, I'm a friendly audience. Um, you know, they're like, I am in the trenches, I'm writing grants, I'm trying to get funding. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to fund this postdoc that I, that I just brought on for the next, you know, I need to publish papers. I'm not going to get tenure. Um, and now you say, hey, you should be thinking strategically about your science communication. I know that's not your, your audience of the book, but I think this is a, an interesting question. How do you, what, what if you had them in an elevator for, you know, a minute, what would you say to them to help them see what you're, what you're trying to accomplish or how to think strategically? So first
3: thing I would say is if you don't have a goal, if you can't identify a goal, don't use precious resources, just communicating because you think you have to. Um, Now, that being said, it would be great to work with that scientist to help them think like, is there something that you, a way that you could be involved in communication? Because they probably do have a goal. There's probably something that they care about. And so the degree to which you could, or even better, like, is there some way that you could a community that you could work with that would make your research better, that would help you think about your issue better. Weirdly, our community, the, the community that we engage with, our sort of community, the people, we, our own communication goes out to, are people, science comm practitioners. It has made our, I think it's made our research so much better by having those conversations. And so I would be trying, we'd try to figure out maybe there's, like, what can you not, what do you, what can you do to the world, but what you, could you get out of communication that would help you be a better scientist? Um, but there's lots of people who want to communicate. I, we, early on in this process, we sort of got moved away from the question how do we get more people to communicate to how quantity, to how do we get the communicate, the money and time that is going into communication. Let's make sure that's being spent ethically, but also effectively.
1: From from my perspective, I see a lot of the communication happening as kind of the metrics, right? The metrics of research science are, you know, grants and publications, but then like press releases. So the that that's mm. motivated because, hey, I've got this thing. I think it could be a press release. If I do that, then I get credit for it. And I don't. And I think that kind of um, is a much shorter term win. And you're not thinking strategically, right? You're not thinking about, like, what do I want to change? Maybe you are. Like, I'm not trying to speak for everyone. Maybe, you know, a lot of scientists have a broader vision and they know what goals they're trying to achieve. But I think a lot of times it's more like if I can get a press release or the science communicator in our we've got a great science communication team and they will reach out to us and say, hey, this paper looks really interesting. Can I write a piece on it? And we'll say, sure. And then that will be the kind of extent of thought about this, the strategy of what we're trying to accomplish. So I think I, I'm just saying that I think this is great way of thinking, and I'm probably going to try to take it back to to my own day job.
0: Which I also think, you know, the book is sort of for the 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 communications team that you have at right? It's right? like it. kind of the <laughs> audience, right? But you know, John, you were going to say something. I don't want to cut that thought of.
3: Oh yeah. And a lot of our new work is around that infrastructure thing is how do mm. we, how do we sure. create the infrastructure where somebody can say, yeah, we're going to write a press release, but why are we writing a press release? What are, what do we hope they'll call? And then, cause you have to make sure, like you have 600 words, right. how do I use those yeah. 600 or 500
1: words or 400 words? And the things you are talking about with like um, trust and, and, and the other kinds of, um, you know, feelings or beliefs that we might put into it. I think that happens between um, research scientists and science communication teams, because I sometimes get this, like, I don't want to share my work with the science communicator because it's usually an mm. individual. It's usually some past experience because I sat with them for an hour and then they asked me this question and it was like, they didn't get it at all. So I was basically like, okay, we're done. I mean, that's a an extreme. I don't think I've heard that, but I've heard things that are like, kind of like that, right? Like, like, oh, I don't really want to do press releases or I don't really want to work with you know so-and-so because I feel that they're not whatever. So that's interesting. I just thought that was an interesting parallel that what you're talking about.
3: I think he's literally describing the grant proposal that Anthony, Sarah, and I have
2: to revise. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We're
4: we, yeah.
0: we, we're working
2: on this one.
0: Guilt because it's September and we're yeah, all like, let's just punt till later.
4: Um.
2: Yeah, but you're, you're, Jason, you're just so right to, to like point out this, the the kind of the question about infrastructure, the question about systems, right? The yeah. question about culture, right? Um, scientific culture and the, and the intersection between the, the experts and the, the communication personnel who support them it's all crucial to being able to you know kind of implement some of the thinking that we're that we're talking about in the book and 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 yeah you know there's a there's a long way to a, there's lots to improve and there's lots to understand before we can even figure out how to quote-unquote improve it mm.
0: and this is like I think I always have a little bit of I would I would actually call it guilt and I like find it ironic around this podcast right because this is a form of public communication thank god we're not putting too many resources into it let's be honest so (laughs) you know aside from like thank you for your time i don't have much you know resources put into this but what are
1: our goals sarah
0: this is, this is, we actually ask so many of our guests this, right? And Shupaya was so kind. She was like, it's fine if you don't have them.
4: <laughs> okay, right, very kind. <laughs> That's not it not it very yeah. kind
0: because I think, I actually think that we probably should have goals, audience specific goals, right? And then thinking about those. So, um, I mean, you want,
3: I, if I, I inferred from everything that you want, people who do science comm to be more intentional about it which is to say you want them to be more strategic to make better choices um i mean that's that's a that seems pretty pretty straightforward hopefully you also want to learn stuff about sci that's going to affect your research also a great goal um
0: i really I appreciate know. that you're articulating all these things for me john because you're <laughs> right. giving me a lot more credit than i am you know <laughs> And and I think this is how a lot of communication starts, honestly, right? Oh, we have this thing. We think it should be out in the world. Let's do it. Like, it is it is very yeah. much an if we build it, they will come sort yeah, of situation. Yeah, yeah. And then after the fact, kind of like a backronym, right? Figuring out, oh, wait, hang on. What are the objectives for this particular podcast or particular piece of communication, right?
1: So my, um, oh, go ahead, Sarah.
0: Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think I'm going to just guess what you're going to say, Jason, but that our goals are quite different, right? I have a different goal for this. I get to talk to researchers. I get to talk to practitioners. So, you know, I personally have, have um, that kind of feedback goal that you were talking about, John, that learning type of goal for this. Whereas I think Jason and Patrick are likely to have um, different goals for that.
1: My personal goal is to be, more aware of the actual evidence that is surrounds this, because I think that's one of the things that um, as a, you know, fairly well-established scientist. Now I have lots of kind of, you know, the wisdom of science communication. I know how I should tell the story. I know all this stuff, but it's like, there's actual research that goes into this. And if I were more aware of what that actual research is, then I could improve my science communication. And I may be in places where it's like, I'm, this is not effective. This is a device that I've used, or this is a an approach that I've used that's just completely not effective. And I didn't know that. Right.
0: Yeah. And I suppose my guilt is around audience specific goals because I don't, A, I don't really know who that audience is. Yeah. right? I know anecdotally who the eight people that listen to this <laughs> podcast are. Sorry, you're not going to get that much publicity on this book because <laughs> there are literally 10 people, Should including my parents. Like, Here's 10. the list. Here's the list. Um, Hopefully they will share with their networks, right? But I know, I know there are some grad students, right, in our field who are listening, who I think, I, I always, you know, as a grad student thought that there were these like great scholars in our field and they seem so accessible, right? But here on this podcast, they get to listen to great scholars like you and Anthony and realize that you're, human beings and do fun things like eat food and enjoy beer and you know um
3: can we push back on jason though like so then just to model the the conversations we have so you said you want. jason said he wants to be more aware i would push back awareness is what does awareness mean conceptually it's like i am aware of things i believe this knowledge exists so we would then push back why do you want to be more aware the thing you actually want is to be a better communicator it sounds like you want to make better communication decisions that's your goal you have a hypothesis that that if i only knew the research more
4: Mm. right and so
3: which which i think is a reasonable hypothesis yeah um but then we could then say, well, what other, what else would help you? You're going to get to also get to know some of the researchers, right? So you're going right. to get to know who's trustworthy. And so you're going to make better, be able to make better, build relationships. Relationships sort of fit in that behavioral trust space. You're going to be able to make better choices about who you
1: turn to. So that's going to be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. So the goal really, it, what I stated as a goal was more of an objective. Am I getting it? Yeah, yeah that's okay. Good. Okay.
0: Yeah, see, everybody's so excited because this is, this is the exact thing. <laughs> I I also like how when John was like, oh, I'm going to push back on Jason. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for do it. That. Go do
4: that. <laughs> Better than <laughs> me.
1: So, so I, had, I had an interesting, um, so I think this is, again, this is my experience with um, how, well, how this podcast came about, how I started interacting with Sarah and Patrick, is that I've Um, I started as a, as a, as a practitioner really like with um, on the comics and, and humor side, just being like completely no, well, no goal that I could really state except to basically that I was, it's a creative outlet. Right. So I was like, Hey, I know this stuff and get responses and that's great. And I do it. And so then um, it developed into something where I'm like, interestingly, it seems like humor and, some kinds of the, the artistic devices and things it could be really good methods for communication. And then I started talking about like, Oh, humor is interesting and it's actually useful and people use it in different ways, but not really thinking about it. And then we, you know, were in this session together and, and subsequently found out that there's research to back this up and that, that there's actually a, a whole area of research on this. And now I'm, I'm, interested because I think my goals around that personally are forming, which is, um, I think that it's not just an interesting novelty. I think it's actually more fundamental to the scientific process. And my goals are starting to form around wanting to, let's see, I'm just trying to, my objectives are wanting to communicate Mm. this to other scientists. My goals are to change behavior around not just science communication, but uh, uh, but around the way that we think about science as more of a creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's 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 just a personal story that has been coming. it like keeps going, but it like we're talking about with the podcast. Sometimes you start things because it's like it would be really great fun to sit and chat with Sarah and Patrick on a regular basis. And why don't we just keep doing this? Right. That was the, how it started.
3: So what do you think would happen if people thought of science as a more creative endeavor? Like, what do you think, how do you think that's going to change how people actually behave?
4: Mm.
3: These are the fun questions we get to have, the way, yeah, like, that's no, the, Which is which is the, we, I mean, we do a lot of sort of not, like not if, con-
0: if consulting. Like if people but, think of science as more creative endeavor, like general so if, non-expert if, if, audiences or if scientists, because I think we have to identify the audience here also.
3: Sure, yeah. So it's almost like a framing thing, like think of science as a creative endeavor. So that's closer to a framing thing than a, than anything else, probably. I don't have to think about it. And so if people accept that frame, how is that going to change the actual practice of science? How is that going to change... Yeah. I think I think it's a hypothesis. Right. But what is it a hypothesis for? Right,
1: right. What am I what am I saying will happen if this brand new world where everyone who's a scientist is now creative or now believes that creativity will help.
2: So conveniently, I'm actually starting a new project that's oh. focused on understanding connections between the art space and the science space. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so yes. We're just at the the front end of this, but I think the, the funders who are behind this project, who actually approached us to, to do this work, I think their hypothesis is that um, science can advance more quickly, can be more innovative yeah. if we find structural ways to, 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 to kind of shake up the structure of how science is done to formally incentivize and support art-science
1: collaboration. Mm-hmm.
2: Super that-
0: interesting.
1: So it's about yeah. improving the science, right? No, 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 and I, that's what I was thinking. Actually, uh, I was—it was, it was just taking me a while to get there, which is improving the science, improving the, the, the maybe the leaps that we can make in terms of how we think about scientific problems. Because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times we're, um, you know, even that <laughs> I just, I made, I made this realization that a lot of times um, we love to use the word, well, we'd like to think outside of the box. And I'm like, yeah. if you're saying you think outside of the box, then you're not, that's that using that cliche <laughs> is actually means that you're still well inside the box, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think I, I do think that is right. That's where, uh, better innovation and better, um, And better kind of scientific, faster scientific advances. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the hypothesis. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And with communication, I think there's probably some other goals that you could think about in terms of thinking about science more creatively with other elements blended in. But I haven't quite gotten there yet. Anthony, do you
0: have an artistic outlet? Total <laughs> ninety degree turn. I know. No, I just, that's I, really I fun. Just took a NASCAR left.
2: <laughs> I love that. That's okay. beautiful. I want to reflect on that. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sorry to say that the extent of my artistic expression these days normally involves helping my children with their homework <laughs> and their own artistic endeavors. Um,
3: yeah, Not- God,
4: something so.
2: To me, research is
3: creative, right? Like so that mm. like we have mm. creative people in our department who are like come from advertising agencies mm. and like creative, create like to me, there's nothing more than creative than designing a really good survey or a really good experiment to answer a question. And fun things You're thing,
2: such a social
3: scientist. I, but, 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 I know, like, this is my hobby. I mean, what this else is about I mean, it. how lucky are we that we get yeah, to do yeah. this for a living? Like, come on, man. Like this is and, and yeah. I feel creative now when I had, I spent two days getting an article down from 9,500 words to 8,000 words. I <laughs> did not feel especially, although I was being pretty creative in how I, <laughs>
4: and but, how you uh, cut but, things. It's a very boring, boring, I know. boring
1: version of creativity.
4: Yeah. But
3: like every time we come up with a new grant proposal or like
1: that's, there's a, mm. um, I find that coming up with grant proposals is, is one of the most exciting things. Now, actually, implementing that idea into a grant proposal is sure. stultifying but
0: yeah i mean you can no, see no. G- jason's creative outlet is right behind him there yeah right
1: right yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's right. gorgeous that's right um, um it really is there so. is
3: a creativity bit in this book though too and which mm-hmm. is another grant proposal we we're putting together is so the way that the advertising in- industry harnesses creativity is by writing creative briefs and say so here's the problem we're trying to solve here's our goal this is we want people to buy more of this pop or we want people to do this thing pop that oh, was your canadian, canadian moments everyone. all right soda <laughs> um <laughs> pops is fine it's for the midwest <laughs> i'm in the midwest pop is acceptable where i am
0: it's true actually yeah pop in the midwest i hear pop i'm like so close to canada
3: it's, it's good i'm as close to canada as i can be with it so but you say like all right so you have these creative briefs which help the you work with the client to identify a goal and then you get insights and what are the insights mm-hmm. the insights are like well i think that if people believe that the product is 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 beneficial in some way and i think they believe that you know it's something that's becoming increasingly trendy which is a social norm in our language and if they believe that the makers of the product are super expert have a great degree of expertise it's super high tech if we can get those insights out people are more likely to do the behavior we want creative team go right and so yeah. that tactical level is where the, create oh, there's an infinite number of tactics because we remember we said like how you behave, what you say, how you say it, where you say it, who says it, when you say it, those are all choices you can make to achieve the things. But the goal is, isn't, is I mean, so maybe there's creative versions of goals, but the real creativity is once you figure out what you want to do, you give people a, a, a I don't want to say people, a box that they work in
2: and that mm-hmm. being in that box helps them be, the theory Wait. would be the, yeah. Give them lanes. And I think it's important, right? Cause this comes up all the time in the, the intro to um, advertising class that I teach, like strategy does not kill creativity. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. They can, they can in fact work together and, and we can see that they can work together really well. They play in the sandbox wonderfully. So, um, you know, that's what it's about. It's about guiding. It's just about gently guiding the creativity. Right. A creativity um, the that's creativity. The, It's like, who, who need? like, right. what is that getting us? That's well, that's just different. Right. I mean, I, not to yeah. get too like philosophical cause I'm really not comfortable in that space, but then we're talking about art, you know, and like, there's, there's a, we're it's, it's a little bit different.
1: <laughs> so I had, so I had a question that, um, it seems relevant here and and definitely you guys seem like you'd be able to comment on it, um, being in advertising departments and having that experience. I'm wondering about the trend of, um, of social media accounts for products and companies and they're, you know, you have the ones that are straight on, like, here's a new product. We're rolling it out. Here's a, here's our new promotion, blah, blah, blah. And then you have, um, what are the examples? Well, I won't name any companies, but there are companies that are clearly, they have a social media person who is like, I am going to be the, the kids social media guy and, or, or woman, and I am going to account, right? And I'm gonna like basically be as kind of non-corporate as possible. What kinds of objectives are they talking about here? Are they trying to reach?
3: I mean, so so, so other words again, we go back to what are the words we use to talk about things. Yes. So, I'll call it brand or reputation or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, they they said they've had some discussion. I hope they said like you know what it would be better if people perceived our brand in this way. Right. So they they want them to perceive our brand as fun. They want them to perceive our brand as similar to them in some sort of values. Which is also
0: hopefully based on some research, not just like, I think (laughs) it should be a more fun brand.
2: Probably based on a very expensive market research. Uh, They have some insight
3: and they're saying, all right. And so then the creative team is like, well, the way we come off as seeming that way is we could use our social media account. To do this thing, but another like a business-to-business may like we want to come off as the authority in this thing, and so let's speak with that Mm -hmm. authority. And and yeah, it's 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 hopefully they're doing it intentionally, not just because they happen to hire a particularly witty social media person, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. basically a young intern who you know knows the social media.
2: Can can you remember there was something within the last six months to a year? And I'm wondering, I'm actually wondering, Jason, if this is this is what you had in mind when you brought this up. Steakums. Yeah. Does anyone Steakums. know? This? Steakums what? is one Steakums? Of the ones
0: I OK, I, I am yeah. out of the loop. Yeah. Can-
2: oh, no, no. I can't totally remember steak.
0: exactly what they
2: did, but I know it was a really big thing.
3: <laughs> Wendy's huh? is kind of get a little bit in that space. Yeah. Uh, Southwest has been in that space, I think.
4: I've also seen
1: um, government entities um, to a certain extent, like our state government um, has been like, uh, I just noticed this because I saw it. got uh, So Washington State, I don't remember, it was some department in Washington State. And they posted this meme that I was like, this meme is actually like spot on with what they're trying to communicate. And it's really funny because it's like it blends several different other memes. And so you have to kind of be, you know, up on the on on memes to be able to figure out what they mean what it means, but it's super funny because they did this. And I'm like, that's like a government agency. I mean, it's a state government, but I've seen that with some other things as well.
3: I think the classic one is the CDC with the zombie preparing for the zombie
4: apocalypse um,
1: talks, but yeah,
3: it it has a that that one doesn't have a long history of strategy. So interesting. That was something that somebody did. And then like they sort of had a there's a lot often people do things. They have a tacit strategy, right? And like they, they sort of like think, I think probably if I do this, but they don't write it down, they don't plan it out, and you could argue that 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 whole strategy process is it kills kills something, but I don't know that we can get away if I, for the scientific community and get away with just like hoping for the best. But let's hope that people come up with some tacit. I, we have a hypothesis that it actually is worth often being a little more systematic in how you work through this stuff.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think about um kind of the 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 base currency of of research science and journal articles and I think journal articles seem a lot more objective than maybe not even objective, right? They are the short-term wins oftentimes that they're the necessary products that get out and you might not have a goal, you might not have a strategy. And I look at my publication record and I'm like I've wandered all over the place. Like if I actually had a strategy, I could be, you know, here, but I don't.
0: Yeah. 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 So I asked about your creative outlets because of this science and art collaboration, um, actually here at the university of Utah I started to have conversations with a professor in surgery. Who's also a sculptor to teach a Mm -hmm. steam class, right? Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Um, But for various reasons, mostly the pandemic that didn't happen, because obviously you need to be in person, right? And then if you plan a class like that in 2019, it doesn't materialize because of said pandemic. Um, But would love to explore and talk more about that. But I also see why you are both so productive all the time because your your creative outlet, job is to create surveys. Anthony, it's to help with your kids' homework. I was thinking of like, you know, what do you do for creative fun? Macrame, <laughs> macrame. Um, but apparently it's surveys. So I mean,
3: yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a fun, it's a great job. It is. I mean, I can't. It it's such a great yes. job. I should have. Yeah. I wish I actually, I, I mean, I cook, I do, I, I bike, I do we do all these other things, but I don't have, I, both my parents were a serious, like one was a serious weaver. one's a serious woodworker. And I do oh. kind of like feel bad
2: that I don't have that, but we'll see. I take care yeah, of my we've, mountain bike. We've actually, you're reminding me that we've taken up woodworking. Oh, wow. Of, you know, pandemic things. So my wife does all of the like building and engineering and she does all the math yeah. <laughs> and then, and then she brings the thing to me and I finish it. So I do the sanding, the staining, oh, sanding, wow. whatever that whatever kind of thing goes. Yeah. And so we've been slowly basically trying to build a piece of furniture for each room in our house.
0: Oh, that's nice. great.
2: Um, yeah. It's been pretty fun. Well,
0: and John, I think your pretzel making might be your creative outlet. Uh, Dude,
3: I bake. No. I mean, like I do I do I don't I don't have any master the things I don't have a sense of mastery in any of the sort of creative things I do. I just sort of do I don't them there like yeah, that's good though right um, yeah you dabble. No, no, no.
2: that's part I'm of it i'm definitely a dabbler i'm lots yeah. of, dabbling.
0: Yeah. And lots yeah. of um we are we are coming up on on kind of close to the end i did want to talk about the last uh the last term in that trinity of goals objectives and tactics though will you say a little bit more about the tactical and the tactic side and the, maybe the research in there or how do we know what works um yeah along those lines
2: well, what we can say from a from a macro level <laughs> is that what we've seen is is off, and 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 this makes perfect sense, right? And and I, I'm sure I've done this, is. You have some sort of communication opportunity, some sort of communication challenge, whatever it might be, a window for communication. And your brain, I think, is like we're kind of naturally wired to immediately go to like tactics. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me write my message, right? Let me figure out what story I'm going to tell. Um, you know, let me figure out where I'm going to do this um, or what social media platform I'm going to use. It's because it's it's like it makes you feel like you're immediately moving down the lane of communication super
0: concrete, right?
2: Yeah, it's concrete. Exactly. Right. Um, And again, tactics are super important, but the problem is if you rush to the tactic um, that, and it's, it's not connected to any sort of larger goal or the, the more short-term or uh, objectives um, that the tactic you might be choosing, or that group of tactics you might be using might be a complete mismatch. Right. Um, And I don't know if you want to dig into that deeper, John, but that's the...
3: I thought I would stir a pot instead, which is... So our Mm -hmm. community, it's one of the, I guess, potentially one of the reasons behind the book is Mm -hmm. our community really loves right now. The rest of the sort of era of our science communication research where it was really focused on debunking an objective. We spent a lot of research showing that the knowledge as an objective, filling deficits in people's knowledge as an objective is not especially productive in terms of it doesn't affect behavior or stuff very much. And so that's what we called. And so we we sort of rejected that objective and said, let's have, and, but then I don't know where we went. So instead though, what we did is we went and said, let's really focus on dialogue. Well, it turns out dialogue is a probably from our perspective, a tactic dialogue. and And so the solution right now in a lot of conversations about communication is either storytelling, tell a story or engage in dialogue. Which are both tactical level choices, right? Like those are both things you do to that will have an effect on what people believe, feel, frame that might affect people's behavior. That's not, that's a that's a that's an interesting thing that our community has sort of organized itself around dialogue as a tactic, and 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 a lot of where my, so I started studying public meetings as my dissertation research which is, and then you start thinking, well, what's the effect, likely effect of a public meeting? Well, it depends how you organize the public meeting and what's the effect that, ha- and so you can make choices within dialogue, within storytelling, you have to make choices of, of like, what are we talking about? How are we talking about it? Who's doing the talking? Like all those other sort of ancillary tactical choices, but those choices can only be made if we know what we want to achieve. Um, and so for me, tactics really are, the last thing you should be thinking about. But you should be thinking about them, but only once you figured out what you're trying to accomplish.
0: I like this kind of step back broad view of, of our field because what I'm hearing is that we threw out an apple, the knowledge goal, but Gender. are now focusing on oranges, right? Which are maybe like the tactic parts of it. It's just something different. We just haven't replaced that knowledge goal or... With a objective. focus on something else
3: or objective. Yeah. Um, but it almost was a goal, right? Because it was like people treated right. it like a goal. Like in right. education, that but it is even in education, it no, teaching kids isn't really the purpose is teaching kids. It's actually right. Yeah. Objectives, objective, right? Like the objective. So we and, and so yeah, where so yes, I think the field is absolutely organized. It, is, it right now has reified a, a specific, very useful, very powerful set of tactics, storytelling and dialogue. Mm. they're wonderful tactics that have a lot if in the language of technology have a lot of affordances, a lot of great affordances. The great thing about dialogue, right? Is if you're trying to have goals that involve affecting both my beliefs, feelings, and frames and your belief, feelings, and frames, me as the organizer, you as audiences, interlocutor, if we don't want to use the word audience. Um, like then dialogue is great, but then there's like, well, is dialogue have to be like right now? Can it be asynchronous dialogue? Like really it's just for me, what's really great about the emphasis on dialogue is the idea of it really does need to communication needs to be designed to over time, cumulatively affect both my behavior and the people I'm interacting with's behavior, uh, as well as how I,
2: we both think and feel and how we frame issues. And there's a, I think there's a danger too with like certain tactics that you see where um, for whatever reason you, you, you start to view that, tactic is a panacea, right? It's like, well, okay. Mm -hmm. If I just tell stories, surely good things will Mm -hmm. happen. Or if I just make sure I get people in a room with me, then you know, wave your hands and magic happens. It's it's, again, it's not like John said there, these are super powerful tactics that have very important times and places and strategy. Um,
1: so the tactic by itself is, you know, so what I'm getting is that the tact is that different tactics might be good at achieving different objectives like they might be uh, you use a tactic and you might be using the right tactic for the objective but you might also be using the wrong tactic and that has to kind of go into your thinking about your you know your goal right but yeah. then the objectives and then and then what are you using
3: and also really important thing like boy people push back like oh i don't feel uncomfortable being strategic like you're Choices, your tactical choices are going to have effects, whether you mean to them to have an effect or not. If you choose to dance your dissertation, like if you choose to tell a poem in a public place, people are going to have perceptions of you that come from that. And people are going to make, develop new beliefs, new feelings, new frames, potentially based on what you say, if they pay attention, if they're motivated and able to pay attention to you. And so the, the strategy bit is like, well, people are going to make, have perceptions change how they think and feel and change. That's going to change the behavior. They're going to do it no matter what. So we should be intentional about those choices because we can make bad choices by accident, by, um,
0: and those probably happen when they're not planned or intentional, right? Like the planned choices are likely to be better than the unplanned unintentional ones is what I hear. Um, hope so. I hope so. I hope um, so. so then, I guess, how do I know, as a practitioner, what tactic might work? I guess what I'm also asking selfishly as a researcher is where are the gaps, right? what What else needs to What else do we need to know? I mean, there's a lot, I think personally, that we need to know in order to know what tactic is going to achieve x, y, or z goal. But where do you think if you had to pick one or two, where are the biggest gaps, do you think in how do I know what tactic works?
2: Anthony, you wanna, what do you think? What do you, you have? Well, I, know I... I mean, I, I, I will comment on And Sorry, sorry, I'm not trying to skirt your question, Sarah, but it's gonna sound like I am inevitably, but w- w- you know, what strikes <laughs> is, was very powerful in working on the book is when we, we get to the last chapter to kind of sum things up after going through and trying to focus very specific on all these objectives yeah. and trying to lay out in an accessible way. Uh, evidence, right? Like, here's what we here's what we see across the different literatures that can help us, is getting to a point where we say, wow, we, there's so much that we don't know. Um, we have some really powerful theories that John had mentioned them earlier that really help try to give us insights into connections between tactics and objectives and goals. And that's great. And there's lots of great research that we've highlighted in the book that give us a sense of why, you know, to go back to your point, Jason, earlier about how in a certain situation, you know, a certain tactic or set of tactics may, you know, maximize the potential for you to achieve a certain objective or how certain objectives may maximize the potential to achieve a certain goal, but how there's a lot of gaps there. Right. And we were looking across literatures, right? Like we're all, all social sciences to, to kind of do this. Um, and and finding that there's there is an opportunity. So Sarah, so the good news is for for you and other science communication researchers, like there's a whole lot of research questions and hypotheses like within this ecosystem that mm-hmm. absolutely need to be addressed. Um, so that's that's exciting for for researchers. Um, I'm trying to think of like what you know like a specific like which one, like I'm trying to think of this in terms of like okay if I was going to go design a study over the next six months and really focus in on a particular you know any of these connections here uh which of those would i do i have to honestly say i don't know because my headspace has been totally focused more on the structure thing on mm-hmm. um, that we were talking about earlier yeah. lately the space um, the space it,
3: my the space my folks are some of my grad students are working on is in that trustworthiness space yeah. and, and so this mm-hmm. is where you talk to shoot right so that's a classic coming out of the work with me for for lots of years wonderful research on aggressive communication so the i yeah. like that that's a tactic right like that's tone style whatever you want to call it of like what happens if i choose an aggressive tone how does that affect how i'm perceived how scientists are perceived and I, so that was a sort of one of our sort of initial sort of pushes into that space and she pays picked up that ball and, and run with it wonderful effect related to that ball is then we start think well if i want if i want people to perceive scientists as caring what can I do? If I want people to perceive scientists as willing to listen, what do I want to do? And we, and so the nice thing about, when this goes back to this whole like creative brief thing and, and the great thing about being clear about objectives, if I say to a scientist, all right, our objective here is we want to make sure that this community really understands, let's assume that we really are caring people. Most scientists, I think a lot of scientists are. So let's, let's assume it's true for one. we need this community to recognize that, that we are trying to do our best to help here. And we're caring people. What can we say or do, or how do we need to make sure we be, we act to make that more likely. And so then we can start having hypotheses like, well, we need to make sure that there's always somebody answering the phone or answering emails quickly. We need to make sure that our tone when we're tweeting isn't, isn't, cost it. I mean, so you start thinking about and so and and it's fun to do that I think the, we're sort of building out little research projects like well, what happens if you if you take your student bio now your, your faculty bio and instead of just saying like something super technical, what if you put in your motivations? Does that affect other people what and so it's just trying to find so then it's just a matter of like trying to find these like places, these opportunities where we can can just because we believe in this sort of cumulative thing, where can we have these little effects over over time? Yeah. So I were in the trustworthiness spaces where I'm most interested in in trying to think about like what, that, what are some tactics that might work and why do they work? Why might they not work? What are the sort of the limits of the tactics for or the audiences that they work with and not with others?
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, actually, and now I'm thinking about it just, you know, from my perspective, I think this framework and this model has been very helpful for me personally in, in kind of organizing where my research fits and this kind of science communication ecosystem. Right. And I think. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Like, so like, I think in my building, I'm like, oh, she's the norms object. She's there's like, so, mm. my buddy, Maria Lipinski is the norms yes. person. And you're like the humor, my humor. If I need a, if I have a question about the tactic and the humor is a funny thing, right? Cause joke telling jokes isn't the tactic?
4: Wow.
3: But it's, but it's like a tactic, like you can think of it as like humor as a thing you do, but also as a thing you experience as a sort of a feeling. Yep. Like and so it's a neat and so like I think of, I turn to you. I mean and so like we uh, our buddy Saul Hart is like self efficacy an efficacy person. If I have questions about efficacy, and so we organize ourselves as a community around like expertise, which again goes back to the like why we write a book and why scientists have a hard practitioners have a hard time finding this
4: mm-hmm.
3: is we individually as researchers pick a space. Like I'm I do trustworthiness stuff. Right. I don't tend to do norms or or like and so.
0: Right? Yeah. And so for practitioners, like, who are these people? Where do I find them? This is a nice organizing mm. way, you know, to, to find um, those researchers. Also, I mean, we need more researchers in the practice space. We've talked about this a lot, often when we are in those practice spaces, and we are the only three in the room, right? Or in that particular room, so
3: we enjoy seeing you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really. <laughs> I mean, it's always good food, right?
1: So I, would, oh, we'll I was nice. just gonna say and that's a great, a great segue serve. into. I think we're coming to the end of our meal today. Oh. Um, I <laughs> really enjoyed my. Uh, my hot dog and chips and uh soda. It was, it was wonderful. Um, I did want uh, to just ask you guys, what's, what's next? Are you going on a world book tour or, or, you know, what's, what's next in, in terms of the book, but in terms of uh, your research as well.
3: Yeah. We're happy to share the book with anybody who, um, who would love it. We, we, we honor again, honored and grateful that we often give talks all over the place virtually and sometimes in person. And we're happy to do that more. There's an weird thing here where you write a book, you have her giving a talk. So you're like, oh, we should write a talk out of the book. So, but then you have to give a talk about the book. Which,
1: um,
0: <laughs> when when does the book come out?
1: Yeah. September 27th. But so, okay. so that's that's great. Yeah, and I'm already. I'm. I was just messaging uh, my one of my communications friends uh-huh. here, and they're doing a story lab, uh, whole program. And I'm like, I know who we need to get as guests for story lab. So.
3: And we love doing that. And, and then Anthony, you can just talk about some of the grant, the infrastructure stuff we've been sort of trying to
2: kick around, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're really interested. All three of us, actually, right? I've been looking to find a find an excuse and find a, a way to do a you know multi year, multi method project that's really much more focused on infrastructure, specifically starting at kind of R one university infrastructure and connections between the the STEM. Experts at those institutions and the different communication personnel um, and workforce that they that su- support them to get a clear understanding of what those uh, relationships do and don't look like, and where there may be opportunities to pull levers to help Im- improve things. So that's something that I think is of great interest to all of us. I've also been doing some cool work recently focused on relationships between um, media professionals and science journalists and different experts who they work with. I mean. That's actually where a lot of the first research in the science communication field started by looking at the relationships between journalists and scientists. And um, uh, and so it's actually really exciting to get back in and, and, and start to do some of that, that research. Uh, I'll just share this with you because I know we're all we're all geeks, and it'll be really interesting. But we've we've finished up the the interviews with the science um, journalists last spring, and we just recently wrote a report about that, and are starting to write some manuscripts from it. And I gotta say, here where we are in twenty twenty two, again, we don't want to generalize from qualitative interviews, but man, there's some serious existential ennui. Um, out there among our science journalists these days. When you think about misinformation, disinformation, I mean, a whole host of issues. And there are a lot of folks doing really important writing out there who feel really isolated unsupported attacked and are asking questions about whether or not they can keep doing this work um so i don't want to be too much of a downer here at the end of our time (laughs) but i'm sorry to do that but but it's um i'm just saying this because i think there's some really urgent work that needs to be done right now to the extent that we care about science journalism um we need to be asking some serious questions about how mm-hmm. we can, how we can maintain it, curate it and empower it at a time when it really needs it.
1: So, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's probably echoed in other parts of science as well, but definitely with the science communication, I can see where that would be. Th- there would be that kind of feeling. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to thank you both for being, uh, providing a really, really interesting conversation. Um, and I want to, again, um, let's see if I, I'm going to, I'm going to list the title of your book here if I can find it, or maybe you guys know it right offhand. Oh, strategic science communication, a guide to setting the right objectives for more effective public engagement. And that's, uh, Beasley and Dudo. Did I get your, last name right think think bestly like think wesley yes. leslie presley, presley. presley. yes yeah. like wesley uh, besley i like
0: wesley, that wesley, 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 wesley wesley. is my puppy
3: I and mean, we are my my, oh. my labrador retriever is wesley besley so the, oh we figured God. that would help with you. the name pronunciation because yes. you're not the first person bestly. to go with yes, sure. all
1: right but
3: thank, thank you, you so presley much
4: very much thank you, great you so,
3: so much to for be having here us. thanks for yeah. having us and we really appreciate the chance to talk about this and we're happy to we love talking about this stuff it's it's interesting we're so lucky
0: we are, we are. And maybe we'll have you back.
3: we we'll look forward to it.